Inclusion from a business perspective isn't just about diversity. Diversity is very, very important. Inclusion is also about creating a sense of belonging, of joint purpose, mm. of uh, joint uh, creation of meaning. And that we need inclusion. If you're a manager, you need inclusion in order to be able to find out what's really happening at the edge of the network. Mm. And if you're presented with a whole host of data, you need people who are different than you surrounding you in order to be able to detect which data is surprising and which data I should then pay attention to. And whether that's all the way down at the customer level or whether it's on the warehouse level or whether it's on a strategic leadership level, uh, the idea here is that if everyone has a sense of belonging, they're going to advance the mission of the organization. Boom, what's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakyan. Very excited to be talking about radical inclusion and so much more. We have Ori Brockman joining us on the show. Hello. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yes, really appreciate it. Huge shout out to Ryan Bazajian for introducing us. Thanks, Boz. Yeah, thanks, Boz. We much love, much love. Ori's background is so epic. He's a multiple New York Times bestselling author, specializing in organizational culture, leadership, change, accountability, conflict resolution, and non-kinetic warfare, propagating nonviolence and influencing society's highest leaders in military, government, NGOs, and business. He's the founder and president of Starfish Leadership and Fully Charged Institute, teaching fellow at UC Berkeley, doing at the School of Business, teaching improvisational leadership and ethical artificial intelligence. Also co-founder of vegan.org, which celebrates its 25th anniversary this year in 2019. That is an epic background. I love it. <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah that's right? what he said. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ori, wow. And the links are below um, his most recent book, Radical Inclusion. The links below to that. Um, such a fantastic book, loved reading it. And prior to that, just so many other books. All of the links are below. Ori's Twitter and LinkedIn as well are below. Ori, let's start things off. You know, the, the video there was so powerful, and I'm really excited to be getting into that messaging more. We live in a very beautiful and complex world, so I'm curious, what is your current take on the state of humanity? On the state of humanity? Uh, I would say a couple of interesting things are, are happening. The first is that it's getting increasingly easier to organize without centralized control. And we're starting to see the power of, of individuals to express themselves, to organize around uh, a similar cause. And at the same time, I think communication is becoming much more um, interfered with. And by that I mean as our communication goes down in, uh, in, in size, uh, whether it's a, a text or a five-second video, we make more assumptions about the intentionality of the other person, of, of the messenger. And that in the assumption, I think that we start uh, just communicating in, in ineffective ways. So I think it's this super interesting uh, dilemma, right? Where on, this, on, on the one hand, it's, it's a lot easier to organize together, and on the other hand, it's also a lot easier to misunderstand one another. 
Yeah, and the, 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 this, that, that is such an interesting dichotomy. And on, on, one, on one side, it's like, holy cow, we're going to be able to solve so many more of our problems by having this decentralized organizational right. um, the pushes towards solving problems. And then on the other hand, it's like, how do we increase the bandwidth of our ability to, to communicate thoughts to each other? How do we have more nuanced, equanimous discourse amongst each other where we look at each other in the eyes and we care and we relate and, um, and we get towards that, that global unity? Yeah, and that one 60-minute conversation is very different than 60 one-minute conversations. Yes. And how do we... How do we at least acknowledge that and how do we get back to being able to really understand each other? Yeah, yeah. When you, when you were making that first point, I was thinking about how much uh, as, we, as we evolved, we ended up centralizing more and more yeah. with agriculture, more and more centralization occurred, all the way up to you know, nation states now and the way that we kind of behave with these borders and, and uh, you're a citizen of a specific country and um, rather than this like global citizen and a little bit more of like a trust-filled process and things like that. But it, 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 it really potentially speaks to what um, and you talk about this a lot in um, Starfish and the Spider, but the, the, the ability to decentralize and what that means to um, our, our ability to, to solve uh, problems in a grassroots style that doesn't require a central authority. Yeah, yeah. Ori, how the hell did you end up being a multiple-time New York Times best-selling author? You were born in Israel, <laughs> went to Texas with family, then to the Bay Area where you spent the rest of your life, right? Yeah, so I have a crazy accent. No, no one ever guesses where my accent's from, right? Uh, it's this like Israeli Texan, shalom y'all. <laughs> <laughs> shalom y'all. <laughs> right? Um, people yeah. are like, is it Canadian? Is it, um, so it, it, it's Hebrew Texan. Uh, but anyways. Yeah, so tell, tell us about this, this journey that you've had in your life of like, uh, you know, becoming an, a multiple uh, award-winning author. Yeah, tell us about this. Um, so I, I finished business school um, in 2001, and I was actually on a plane uh, with a good friend of mine from Boston to San Francisco on September 10th, 2001 and realized that the, war, the next day I woke up and obviously realized that the world was a different place and wanted to do something to make a difference. And I co-founded a network of CEOs working on peace and economic development projects around, around the world. And people were like, well, who's in charge? And I was like, not me, I was 26. And they were like, what's the overall strategy? And the overall strategy was to build this, this network. And a couple of the circles ended up achieving some remarkable results, uh, opened up the borders between uh, India and Pakistan, raised uh, substantial amounts in uh, micro-lending projects in Africa. People are like, how did you accomplish this? And I realized that it wasn't me or us, it was the network. It was the power of these very distributed networks working um, on joint causes and joint missions and started looking at history and saw that there is the same pattern that repeats itself where people organize around shared values and are able to change the world in dramatic ways. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, the anti-slavery movement, the women's suffrage movement, um, and that they all followed the same path. 
Um, and people are like, you have to write a book. And I had never written anything uh, professionally before. And these were all hierarchical structures. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, and one thing led to another. Uh, it, it was funny in 2006, uh, or 2005, when we were talking to our editor, uh, to, to our publisher, and he's like, what have you written? And I was like, well, I wrote the talent show for uh, the business school, <laughs> and they're like, uh, maybe you shouldn't say that next time you talk to, an, uh, to a publisher. <laughs> he looks at me like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we all get started, though. Right? Yeah, yeah that's like, how I, we, I wrote the talent show. I don't know. That's right. The talent show. That's right. Yeah, you you look, look back like almost 400 episodes ago, you know, we were also very much so like, you know, barely able to do these really well. And so that's how we, you know, that's how we get started. Now, okay, now how did that end up leading to your interest in human psychology and writing your first books? Um, so the first book was Starfish and the Spider. Um, the metaphor of that is you cut off the head of a spider, it dies, you cut off the arm of a starfish, it goes on back because unlike the spider, uh, the starfish doesn't have a central brain. And from there I wrote uh, a couple books with my brother, my older brother, uh, mm -hmm. Ram, who is a psychologist. So. I've been really interested about both networks, but also how people re relate to each other within these networks, and how you can improve the quality of relationships within these distributed networks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so then as you're doing the uh, improving relationship between people in the distributed networks, and you're, seeing, you're using this beautiful analogy of cutting off the central brain of the spider versus the regenerative um, decentralized system of the starfish. What were some of these realizations for you? Um, you mean after the book came out? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some of the big realizations were, first of all, you can really, really have an impact um, on the energy levels of the people around you and that you can have an impact about either energizing or draining the, the people who are closest to you that you work with, that you um, interact with. How do you change the energy of the organization? And the second uh, thing that I've noticed over the uh, last years is just how much these starfish networks are changing the rules of society. So um, you, you see the, this in, in politics, in technology, in blockchain, how really th th there's an ability for people to self-organize or to organize in a distributed fashion, and that it's actually much more effective mm. than uh, control. So that you think that when you give up uh, control, you lose power, but in fact, you actually gain power the more control you give up, which tell, is really weird. Tell that to the banks. Right? Okay. Well, and at, at the same time, um, how are banks going to, are going to uh, react or yes. to blockchain? Yeah, correct. And, and cryptocurrencies. Right, and, and, and yeah. what, what are some of the implications? And are they going to get more disintermediated? Yeah, yeah. So, correct. Um, a couple, a few years ago, banks were like, well, you know, this, this blockchain thing, uh, you know, and now there's serious investment in it, and, and people are realizing that there really can be something there. 
Yeah, a lot of your work seems to point in the direction of the, the big difference between a centralized controlling versus a this radical inclusion, decentralization, and then the meaning and purpose that arises from that. Yeah, so control is oftentimes going to exclude people um, and is going to try to cement how people interact with one another, what people are going to focus on. Or, uh, and inclusion is essential for an open society. And that it turns out that you actually need inclusion in order to get better information. Yeah. yeah. And I think Correct. as uh, more and more as, as the world becomes complex, you're going to depend on inclusion for accuracy. Yes, yes. And you started you yeah. know, hinting at that in the, in the, yeah. in the first video. Um, I, want, I want to see, um, you know, in, in the Starfish and Spider, I want, I want you to teach us about these kind of like, these crazy, you started hinting at some of the blockchain decentralizations. I want people to know how exactly the United States military credits you for their foundation of being able to tackle Al-Qaeda. Um, so my book was... Uh, ended up in the uh, U.S. Army. And when you think about it, uh, terror networks function a lot more like starfish than they do like spiders. And the reason for that is really simple. Imagine taking on an opponent as formidable as the United States. You're not going to be able to win a conventional war uh, with uh, against our army or navy or air force, and in order to adapt, you basically are going to be as distributed as you as you can. So, in order to fight these distributed networks, we actually need to be more starfish like ourselves. And what's interesting is the harder that we fight against a starfish the stronger it becomes. So you look at the transition from um, Al-Qaeda and we fought Al-Qaeda, which brought on ISIS and we take down ISIS. And, and now there's really a lot of videos out there th that are very powerful and obviously concerning. And, and, and you, you think about uh, how do we, so as a country, how do we take on the Nazi party? Right, and so in, in, in the 1940s, well, we, we went to World War II. How do we take on Nazis today? Where are they? Um, isn't it interesting and very concerning that it's become this decentralized, that really you're starting to fight a war where you're no longer able to, you're no longer fighting a war for territory you're fighting a war for uh, time, for mindshare. Mm -hmm. And how do you fight that war? It, it follows a very different set of rules. And we're moving away from um, wars with bullets and uh, mm -hmm. more to mm -hmm. the non-kinetic uh, sphere. And by that I mean you're going to have to fight these narratives with other alternative positive narratives that support our uh, open society. 
And we haven't fully tackled that yet. Yeah, this major difference between between a there's a couple things here. One of the things is the is the um, the way that a a terror network can then uh, act in a decentralized way, and that the the very interesting aspect of being able to uh, how how do you then combat it yourself as a as a starfish? Yeah. And then another thing is this this um, this transition to more on a, like a cyber war front, more on a on a deep fakes front, more on a on a what what is what is what do we do in the in the IT age now of uh, of 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 war rather than the bullet age of war? This is a big transition. So where do where do blockchain technologies and crypto um, cryptography and things come into play that that enable um, us to have a more trust based social fabric these are very pressing questions and that we need to recognize we're not going to kill our way out of this war we're going to have to turn to different tactics that are going to be effective and a big part of that i i see more and more of a a divide between Washington DC and here in, in, in Silicon Valley. And beyond even just the political divide, there's a growing rift where we're not talking as, as a country about um, security. And we're not using the same language oftentimes. And that we're oftentimes trying to solve this bridge using policy and, you know, uh, uh, people are lamenting this fact, but I think that what we're actually experiencing is this is a human problem, and we're not yet dealing with it in a human way. Um, so you think about, for a moment, um, what is it, a, a, a week ago, uh, Australia passed the, the law about uh, um, if, if, a, if a provider has videos that are um, harmful, if they don't take, get, get, get taken down in, 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 a, uh, in a reasonable amount of period, whatever that means, uh, then there's a huge fine and, and uh, jail time. Is this trying to cut the head? Is, these are all trying to cut the right, head. Right, right. Yeah. As opposed to saying, you know, these platforms where a lot of these uh, networks thrive on, really need to take more seriously about how do we change the tenor of the conversation? How do we change the, um, uh, how do we avoid violence? How do we make these nonviolent interactions? Um, and that we need to start taking it seriously as opposed to shouting at each other, which I think is all too easy these days. You, you consult for every department of the military for every yeah now my a question then would be you spoke a moment ago about this disconnect between uh dc and silicon valley mm. uh also this kind of disconnect globally between the cutting off the head of the spider versus the decentralized starfish so i'm curious to to hear your thoughts on this 
Does it, does it, does it feel like, like what is the role that Palantir and their data fusion technology plays in government providing safety, security for the country? What role does Twitter and YouTube being able to chop the head off the different content creators that are saying things that disagrees with their community guidelines versus how do we take tackle that in a, de in a decentralized method? So a way of tackling this in a, in, in a more distributed fashion is first recognizing a couple of things. One is we can keep on chopping the, the heads off and they'll just become more and more distributed and they'll go darker and darker onto the web. And instead, what if we focus on amplifying voices of tolerance, yeah. of open society, yes. and yes. it really is a, um, it's a search engine issue, mm. right? Or what are the top 10, so we know politically that you gain power by having the most compelling narrative. Yeah, yeah, correct. Right? The best story. Most right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, in your top 10, uh, whatever you're going to search on, on uh, your top 10 results are going to be viewed and uh, uh, much dramatically. Uh, so how do you help amplify these voices that do exist, that are talking about tolerance, or talking about inclusion, or talking about um, different ways of interacting? So rather than thinking about going around and it, it's even a violent metaphor, right? Chopping off heads. Yeah, yeah, how do we yeah. amplify what already exists, but in an effective, in an effective way? And that we're reluctant because it's interesting. Both the government and I think tech is af so afraid of the narrative, right? You control the narrative. You. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do we think about narrative in a different way? Of saying, you know what? For a narrative to really thrive, you. You, you need inclusion, you, you need people to be, to have a, a sense of belonging to it. And how do you then effectively, as leaders, amplify the narratives that are helping society? Okay, here would be a follow-up question then. As we're entering into the, the inc insane attention economy and the a gold rush for people's attention, that where, how, how, how much effort is, are we distributing, should we, should we aim to distribute effort evenly amongst our radical inclusion from a, from a community and a corporate perspective in, on a grassroots style of development towards this tolerance, making that meme spread, memes of tolerance, equanimity, peace, dignity, kindness towards each other in our nuanced conversations about figuring out the best code moving forward. That, that is that, that grassroots side, and then the other side is this like, kind of like governant code. Like how, how much do we focus on that, on the code of governance as well? So there's a couple of big issues. One is um, how do we interact with one another? And oftentimes the content um, is going to be dependent on the media. So the, 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 the reason that uh, uh, we grew up on four minute songs, because that's the, the length of a, uh, of a, of a 45, right? Uh, and the reason that songs 
our two minutes today is because uh, that, that, that's a, the length of an Instagram video. So, so that by allowing people to, by not splicing the conversation into a million pieces, that's really step number one and, and, and an essential step. How do we effectively talk to each other? The second one is, specifically to your point, how do we um, think about the best ideas are going to come from the edge of the network? And as a leader, your role is, is transforming from governance and control and to amplifying the ideas that are the most resonant and uh, have the most power. And the thing is that you don't know where the best ideas are going to come from. You just don't know. You need to have a very wide network of a, a lot of uh, nodes being able to have a sense of participation. And then the leader then can then sh shine a light on those nodes that have the most compelling and beneficial. And then what would be a strong mechanism for a leader shining the light on the best, most tolerant, most nuanced, most progressing conversations? What would be a, what would be a mechanism? Are we talking oh, about... Um, yeah. it's, um, that's a good question. You just have to repeat it. You just have to amplify it. it would would so, this be like a fundamental... Um, code of, of, a, of, a, of a Twitter or a YouTube of propagating those Yeah, it's just messages. propagating it. And, and, and um, I've, I've started thinking about videos as living organisms. Yes. And um, all living organisms, or at least all, all living organisms that we know, uh, abide by two rules to survive. The need to eat, and they need to reproduce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The way that a video eats is views, right? Um, the way that... Reproduces through shares? Through shares. And derivative content. Um, yeah. So that so when if, 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 if someone video. takes... Uh, uh, when we started the, this this video with, with, with content from before and, and now we're expanding upon it, which, which then helped the original video reproduce. So we're doing that as we speak. Uh, so it's reproduction when there's even a three minute chunk of this video being shared. Right, on, it, yeah, it, 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 it's a reproduction. And we need to think of, of videos literally as, um, organisms. As, as organisms and they abide by those simple it, they're very simple economic rules. Yeah, and, and channels or content creators as organisms as well that are, that are launching They're feeding off. the organism. They're feeding the, feeding we, the we are feeding the video. The, the, so right now, if, if this is at all a compelling video, then we're feeding the videos. And eventually, who, the, the host companies monetize by having um, more views, right? And then... Right. After, after a while, you can only have so many views, right? If, if your video gets viewed a couple billion times, eventually you then need the derivative content, and then that gets viewed and viewed and viewed. How in how in a in a in a in a uh, in a per, in a Pareto uh, distribution where it 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 seems as though now with it's such it's such so such there's such an amount of difficulty, maybe even like 
two or three years of building up a, a Twitter account or a, a YouTube channel or whatever it may be before getting even that bit of traction that 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 versus the versus um, the meme share, let's say the memetic share of larger. Uh, already existing platforms. How how do we get the ideas of tolerance that may only have hundreds of views into the into the millions or, or billions of views? We need to start by taking it seriously, um, and we need to recognize that if we're fighting, so we've moved away from a battle of ideas to a battle of narratives. Ideas are either right or wrong. So I can debate you uh, about whether, uh, well, there's not much debate, but climate change. <laughs> you, you, you can debate that, and, and the scientific community has come to a conclusion. Uh, yes. Uh, Do you find yourself more on open borders or closed borders? Exactly. Things, exactly. Sure. Um, narratives are about is it interesting or is it boring? Yeah, this is a, a cool point. Okay, teach us more. So, and th th that would be the only, so a meme or a video or information gets shared if it's interesting and compelling. And how do you take something that you might be very right on? Yes, we should have a more tolerant open society. But how do we make that conversation into, it, it make it compelling? It's compelling uh, enough to get shared. To get shared. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. When I, was, when, when I was in college, I, I was involved with um, my freshman year with the animal rights group uh, at UC Berkeley. And um, I joined, there were like eight members and they were like holding protest signs and, and um, wasn't very effective. And my second semester, my freshman year, they were like, hey, do you wanna be president of this organization? I was like, okay. And my first act was, uh, to kill the name of the organization. It was Berkeley Students for Animal Liberation. Um, and I had all these people from the animal rights uh, community call me and said like, why are you killing? And I was like, because this is not ever gonna work. Um, and instead, uh, I co-founded vegan.org mm -hmm. and Vegan Action. And we said, you know what? Rather than fighting about whether going vegan is right or wrong, I bet you I can make it fun and interesting. So the first project was um, getting um, um, the UC Berkeley dorms to offer vegan uh, meals. Yes. And uh, the, after that, we decided, hey, you know, this, this vegan meals, like, let, let's share it more broadly. And we had a uh, campaign called McVegan. Yep. Billions and billions saved. There we go. <laughs> yeah. um, so for some reason, uh, McDonald's, uh, saw the, the, uh, the logo and, and wasn't that amused and <laughs> they, uh, they threatened to sue us and at the time I, I, was, I was 19 and we're like sure go ahead bring and, it on um, I, had, I had a bike um, yeah. and we said you know McDonald's uh, and fast food restaurants have used playgrounds and clowns to sell junk food to kids we can also uh, uh, use the same imagery to teach people about uh, eating well and eating a, a diet that's been good for the planet. And uh, McDonald's uh, withdrew their, their lawsuit. Yep. And 
25 years later, uh, McDonald's is now introducing the McVegan burger. An actual McVegan They're burger. They're actually introducing the McVegan burger. Oh my goodness, it's, it's finally come. Right. Wow. And then didn't the, 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 didn't the pre president of McDonald's also be, take a chairman position at a vegan? Uh, at Beyond, uh, yeah. At a Beyond, uh, a beyond Meat. Wow. So yeah. you're seeing that, again, McDonald's is, 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 is a company based on economics and you, they're going to react to the market based on the narrative. Yeah. Not necessarily, I, I don't think they're waking up in, in the morning and saying like, I'm determined to sell as much beef as I can. Yeah. They're, they're determined to sell as, as many hamburgers as they can. And, and, it, and if we can change the narrative and if we can take on that narrative battle and recognize and again, are you boring or are you interesting? Are you, um, is your narrative going to have positive or negative energy? Is it going to be energizing or draining? Then you can actually uh, win the battle. This is a very good story for how to spread memes. That's why you bring this up at this time, because you spread memes in a way that is pushing us towards a more sustainable uh, cycle of, of food consumption and, and, um, and planetary uh, trajectory. And so this is, this is maybe one of the answers to what we were discussing a little bit ago, which is this is how to spread a meme of tolerance, compassion, of, 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 of positive civilizational trajectory, and you did it in a grassroots way. And that's a, that's a, this is a good um, way for other people, young people, to really think about, oh, this could be a strategy for me to try and, and, make, and make change. Right, so, so if you get really, really specific, so what is going to be compelling for people to watch? And we know that, unfortunately, violence is going to be compelling for people to watch, right? There's and such a fear instinct Right. The, 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 yeah. the, there's, there's fearful stuff, there's... Um, Entertainment is a and, big and, one. Yeah. And there's also funny stuff. So yeah. that if you can... Maybe it's a little funny, I think. Uh, yeah, it is a little funny. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. all of a sudden, you're talking about this pretty serious issue of... Um, animal consumption, and you can say like, oh, it's actually fun, and I can win a war about whether or not something is fun and hip and cool. Yeah. Um, because it's, it, all, all the cool kids are doing it. <laughs> and Interesting. I think that it's, it's tempting and sometimes dangerous, right, to the easy way of, of sh getting something shared is, is to be as provocative and kind of... Um, and, entrench as much fear as possible. And there's, there's an, an, another even more effective way of, uh, I think eventually nonviolence does win. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I love- Life-affirming decisions. Yes, 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 life-affirming decisions. You, you explain this really powerful um, way of combining the memes of, of, um, of positive civilizational trajectory with something that is, uh, um, that is interesting, captivating, entertaining, um, and, and I think that those uh, two things together uh, have, a, have a strong ability to, to catalyze change. Now, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I want to I wanna talk about this, this this feeling of, of belonging, this feeling of meaning and purpose. Mm. And I love how you explain it on an, on an edge. Uh, we talk a lot about the edge of knowledge on the show and how we sit down with different leaders at different edges of knowledge. 
different vertices and we aim to disseminate that to the public in ways that are fun and relatable, entertaining, exciting, inspirational. And so when you speak at Amazon's headquarters, you're going and speaking, um, and what you write about in the book, you make it very clear that people with a greater sense of, of, of being included, of participation in what is happening with the, with, with, with the organization that they're a part of will, will feel greater amounts of meaning, purpose, actualization, and there will be better communication from that edge to, 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 to the organization's objectives and goals. So I'm gonna tell you a story about um, in, in hospitals. Um, one of the uh, killers that hospitals face aren't just trauma and uh, diseases, they are um, antibiotic resistant staph infection. And the um, best way of picking up a MRSA is by going to the hospital. Because if someone has it, then it, it, it easily gets uh, transmitted. And there's a, really easy, there's a really straightforward way of combating MRSA. You wash your hands. <laughs> and we've known that since the 1800s, right? Wash your hands. So hospitals across the country have done different campaigns where they put up signs above sinks and said, wash your hands. Didn't work. <laughs> so they put up colorful signs. Please wash your hands. Didn't work. So they took doctors, actual doctors, to, um, to train them on washing hands, <laughs> like this, this is how you wash your hands, didn't work. That's because information does not change behavior. Information does not change behavior. If it did, no one would smoke, everyone would floss. And instead of hitting people with more and more information and more and more control about washing hands, um, this nonprofit I, I was on the board of, we assembled a group of everyone from um, the head of infection control to the janitor. And we just said, hey, you know, how do we deal with this, with this problem? And the janitor said, you know, I, 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 um, I made an observation that in this one wing where there's a lot of infection, the garbage cans are empty. People aren't using um, gloves. And we're like, well, that's weird. But there's a, a mode which, which is nothing about me without me. Uh, there is, we can't talk about them. So the group gets up and goes to the wing and said, hey, have you guys heard? You, you should really be wearing gloves. Why aren't you wearing gloves? And said, well, the nurses in this specific wing have very small hands. And this hospital's so cheap, they don't get enough uh, extra small gloves. I said, well, what if we give you more gloves? Then he said, of course, we'd wear them, we'd use them. So the janitor busts out a pen, writes down his number, Every time that wing ran out of extra small gloves, they'd call him up and he'd replace them in a few minutes. And it's small incremental changes like that that reduced the levels of infection in the hospital by 70% in one year. Wow. Now, it's not to say that every wing in the hospital needed extra small gloves, nor is it to say that the janitor should be made the head of infection control. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's depending on the context of the situation. Think about people who show up at work, and I doubt that people want to show up, most people want to show up at work and want to 
make difficulties or make someone's day horrible. Like I think most people show up, like why don't you contribute? How do you harness that energy? And how do you create a sense of belonging where people can have a voice but then can, sh can see how their voice actually is making a difference? How do you create that level of participation? Yeah, and who would have thought that the solution would be as simple as having the nursing staff communicate to the custodians? Right, and it's, yeah. and it's, and it's, and it's, it's dozens of solutions like that, yes. right? So it's not just one solution, but totally. yes, who would have, and the janitor has better information yes. about whether people are using gloves yes, yes, than yes. Uh, the, the... Information campaigns. And, 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 yeah. and if you gather, well, this hospital is using this many gloves, but I'm not going to know per room unless I'm okay. emptying the trash. I'm, I get it now. So it's like the president of the hospital and all of the staff at the top, they're not at the edge like the custodian exactly. is at the edge. Exactly. And the custodian's looking in the basket every single day and exactly. seeing the amount of... And so if, the, if there's a way to get the data, yeah. the information, the knowledge that the custodian knows to the, to, the, to the organization in a way that can actually make the change, how can we find this information and how can we apply it into the organization? Exactly. How can we get the custodian to be a part of that narrative of, hey, we're actually trying to help people and we're trying to prevent disease and we're all a part of that mission. So this isn't, um, how do you create that sense of belonging? And this is where we really need to decouple um, inclusion and diversity. They're both very important. Diversity oh, and is... All, in all the marketing departments, it's diversity and inclusion. inclusion. Diversity and inclusion. <laughs> diversity and inclusion, right? Diversity is a payroll issue. So who is on your payroll and um, who is in, in the company? Inclusion is a cultural issue. Are you going to feel comfortable speaking up? Is your voice going to be heard? Do you feel a sense of belonging in the organization? Yeah, this decoupling is very interesting. I, <laughs> I, I see it now. I see the decoupling as something that's, that's become so important to identify. And, and, when, and when you do give people a feeling of belonging where their voice makes impact, then they feel more comfortable speaking up. The data from the edges gets distributed to the right locations more effectively and p more positive change gets catalyzed. Right, and now let's try to synthesize s some of this with the conversation about networks. So whether I'm trying to fight terror networks or have good ideas for how society can, um, people can have better interactions with one another, those ideas, I don't claim to have those ideas. Those are the, 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 the right ideas. Those ideas are, are distributed across the world. How do you create a network that is broad enough and that, that gives people a chance to participate that they can then um, have a true voice and actually be able to solve some of these very complex issues and that different voices are going to chime up depending on the context of the problem. 
This leads me into asking you about the uh, these the, the geopolitical uh, side of, of inclusion that that there see there seems to be now with more and more of the exponential technology effect on society we have the benefits of being able to wear a fully immersive experience into what it would be like to get behind someone's eyes we can gain a lot of empathy from that at the same time the amount of uh, technology with uh, some aspects of synthetic biology or malevolence and ar artificial intelligence or what what mm -hmm. have you yeah so there's this this yeah there's technology being a double-edged sword in that sense so how, how do we extend the inclusion this inclusive fitness out to all of earth to this feeling of unity with evolution that we got here together i think we need to take a side. <laughs> you can't both be enabling authoritarianism while also enabling civil, uh, open society. And the two will eventually clash. Like China. So can a company have different rules if they're operating in a more authoritative country than and or should they be more values-based about saying, you know what, regardless of the government, we need to abide by open society and, and by non-authoritarianism. Non and that trying to have it both ways, the challenge is that technology can and has been used as a very authoritarian tool. Yeah. And that unless we're very conscious and unless we, we take the, the values-based approach of openness, of equality, then I think we can open some very dark doors. And I think from a geopolitical perspective, we're recognizing that we can't really um, go at it alone. It, it's it's just not going to be effective. But rather than sowing dis, uh, discord, and, and, and you think about it, just think about how much discord is sown every day, just people just um, being afraid of each other. So much fear. How do we move away from this place of being afraid of each other as, 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 as two humans or Correct. as two, two countries Correct. to a place of... Um, recognizing that we might be working towards similar goals and how do exactly. we um, yeah. how do we come together yeah. as as um, so many forces are trying to split us apart yeah well, yep. geneocracy of course uh, <laughs> uh, geneocracy i say, I say yeah. that like yeah. i know what i'm talking yeah, about that's, <laughs> yeah. Alan, Alan taught me that we, we, we were doing night. a little research last right. night on uh on the uh, the, the, the the potential um, forms of governance based on uh, problem solving, creative intelligence, love and compassion, uh, and I thought that could be a potential uh, just interesting thought experiment to, to run and see what that would be like. Idiocracy, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think that blockchain, and I think we're just discover, we're just figuring out the mm -hmm. real implications of blockchain, that blockchain might have what I call micro-ubiquity. So that 
if I decide to have almost an island here in San Francisco <laughs> where I can essentially have a community of people where all transactions are going to be on blockchain, and if the community is, um, isn't entirely um, um, open to anyone uh, but is only uh, essentially open to people that I trust in the real world, am I going to be able to live in an island? And as the state of politics and the national mm. dialogue becomes more and more shrill, will people start living in these little digital <laughs> islands? Yeah, yeah. And what does that look like? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And are you going to disintermediate government? It was really interesting hearing you say that a radical inclusion um, can't uh, live simultaneously with an authoritarian state. The, yeah. Those two things just don't... They'll eventually clash. Yeah. 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 People, do people really feel meaning, purpose, participation in an authoritarian state? And authoritarian states end up in... Um, the outcome is always the same. <laughs> Eventually people rise up and demand to yeah, yeah. have a freedom and to, ha and to have a voice. Like we've seen it, the, the pattern repeats itself over and over and over again. Or it feels like another part of what this, this conversation slowly kind of ed edging towards as well is that, um, that part of what happened with this extremely quick um, exponential technology age in the last uh, couple decades is that we've seen a heavy amount of wealth concentration um, occur in, in just a couple in handfuls of people um, and that uh, this has created a massive destabilization um, in civilization and so um, potentially what some of the decentralization technologies and radical inclusion mentalities do is that they they it, you, you take these this viral video now of these you know billionaires multimillionaires dumping fifty thousand bucks on their head and this is kind of the mentality now is that you know they're like we didn't need this tax cut we need this 50k to go to other people artists and entrepreneurs young people that want to build that don't have the financial stability they're still trying to stay afloat so the, I, I think in this country and also around the world but let's talk about specifically in this country as the, the, the divide becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, we need to remind ourselves, why is it that people, uh, even w uh, with different uh, economic classes, why aren't people rebelling? And I think that the reason for that is that people think that they, um, that they too can succeed. And if, if they play by the rules, and if, if, if they work hard. And it's interesting, um, you look at a bunch of, uh, uh, I'm painting with a very broad brush, but uh, a bunch of folks who uh, are staunchly against the uh, estate tax, but they're, it doesn't actually apply to them, but they're like, they're convenient, well, if I were a millionaire, then I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want the estate tax. Uh, when you take that away, the idea that if you work hard enough and that you play by the rules, when you start having the system that's gained, that's, I think, when you're going to start having 
massive, massive social unrest. And I think we're tittering on that. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that with the, um, mm-hmm. I've been following uh, the admission scandal. Uh, uh, and you're saying like, this is not fair. <laughs> it's just, compl- why is it that um, you can just write a check and have your kid um, go to school and take in someone else's spot? And that the moment that that decays is the moment I think that people get really, really, really upset in ways that we haven't seen, when, when they feel that the system is rigged. When the corruption becomes that transparent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because um, the hard working that you were describing that people feel like, oh, I can work hard and I can achieve good for myself, my family, my community, etc. But then they work hard and they see corruption actually won and they lost. Right. Yeah. And I think for, for a long time in the United States, we had that really going for ourselves, right? You can sit like, you know, um, and... Like there's real obviously meritocracy. Been, right, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and there's obviously been issues of sexism and racism and, and, and yes, l- yes. let's be clear, the, the, the game has never, the decks have never been uh, stacked evenly. Yeah. But there's been enough of a sense of that, you, yes, you can actually uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, achieve by, by playing with the rules. And once you take that away, yeah, yeah. Um, which then leads again back to the inclusion that people feel that they, they need a voice and, and they need to, to belong to a game that's, that's a fair game. I'm, I'm fairly certain now that after you know, talking to you more, it feels like you know, maybe even 90 plus percent of, of me feels like we're going towards a, a very uh, decentralized, distributed hierarchy in many ways of, of a civil society. Where, uh, where we don't no longer depend on such a massive ego, we don't get so, we stay a little more humble, we understand that the creative potential of artificial intelligence is greater than that of, of humanity in some ways, and that, um, that kind of potentially might be this next um, progressional shift. Yes, the, what's really interesting is that we've arguably come to a, an age where relatively everyone has a voice, of some, right? Uh, and and it, it's very easy to um, broadcast. And now we need to ask ourselves the question of, okay, how do we broadcast it? Um, wh- what kind of messages do we actually want to broadcast? And how do we effectively amplify um, more meaning and... and yeah, yeah. Um, Signal, truth, yeah, meaning. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, how how do we amplify? It's such a such a crucial question. Yeah, I hope I hope there's both parties partake. I hope that um, more on the on the top down on the tech tech corporate side of things and the and the geopolitical government side of things um, aim to bubble up um, meaning, truth, and signal. Meanwhile, the grassroots aims to really propagate those memes as well. Right, and we need to be very clear that there is a war going on of. Uh, People either sowing fear and discord, and, and we're becoming more stressed out and more fearful of each other. And we need to re- recognize that that is an actual ongoing tactics, and that the only way to overcome that is by 
stopping by by not being afraid <laughs> and by seeking harmony where we can, by seeking nonviolence where we can. That is the only counter to uh, we, we, uh, the only possibility is right. Uh, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Peace is the way. Yeah, yeah. Seeking harmony and nonviolence. Or what does it mean to be fully charged? The fully charged institute. So this is in Washington, outside of Washington D.C., uh, with um, my business partner is uh, Tom Rath, uh, who came out of Gallup and wrote the Strings Finder, 2.0 books, and uh, we've looked a lot about human interactions, and that any interaction can either be energizing or draining. Mm-hmm. And you can ask yourself, so rather than saying to people, hey, you're, you're a jerk or you're this or this, you can ask yourself, am, am I energized by this interaction or am, or am I uh, drained? Yeah. And it turns out that we're all in a network and that if we drain, one, one draining interaction, uh, it takes four energizing interactions to count, counter counteraction from a psychological perspective. So and you start thinking be draining interactions. Yeah. And interestingly, the way to be energizing is to actually work on energizing yourself first. Yeah. yeah. And it's with the cycle of sleep, yes. of uh, uh, what we eat, yeah. and how we move. Yeah. What stimuli we take in. Yeah. And having meaningful interactions. Yes. So we work with organizations on how do, you cr- how do you energize the people around you? Love it. Love and, it. And if you just think about that, right? Everyone probably wants to have, <laughs> to be yeah. a positive uh, energizing force. Like who wants to be draining? Yeah, yeah. And we want to spread that butterfly effect around the world. Yes, yes. Okay, now, Ronnie, we're going to do the end questions. No. <laughs> yeah. What? Thoughts. Conversation's fine. Yeah. I just, I just want to acknowledge there, there are some people that like to be miserable. They like to inflict pain, and and we can't, we can't, uh, you know, dismiss them. Like you say, what, what kind of person doesn't want to be a positive influence? Doesn't want to be draining? There's lots of people among us that, that just that do like that, <laughs> and that's. I just want to throw. I don't, that I don't think there. it's a majority. I uh, hope yeah, it's not no, a majority. Def- definitely not majority. Yeah, definitely not majority. Okay, May, right. I want to. I want to ask a question on behalf of Ron and I together. Um, is is there is there some sort of a force beyond the 3D reality that is at play on the planet? That is beyond my. Um, that is beyond. Uh, my knowledge, uh, I do think that we're recognizing that um, there's a lot more to the world that we don't understand, uh, whether on, on the quantum level or, um, and I think that on very, very, very simple uh, level, there's really only two forces, I think, that exist, that I know of. There's fear and there's love. Ah, yeah, yeah. You're running towards or you're running away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, and there may be um, f- uh, forces at play on um, that are aiming to propagate those two. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's, 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 do, let's do our simulation questions. All right, first question is, are we alone in the cosmos? I think that would be arrogant to assume that we're alone. So um, <laughs> I would say no, we're not alone. 
but uh, I was a peace studies major from UC Berkeley, so <laughs> my, uh, my sense is that we're not alone. We're gonna call you but up. It, but it, just, it would just be, it would be too presumptuous. We're gonna call you up when we make the interstellar slash right? galactic <laughs> <laughs> conference, yeah. Um, next question is the simulation, so we will ask you, are we in a simulation? I think there's another question, which is, if we were in the simulation, so if we're in the, in the matrix, do you take the, whatever color pill? Red or blue, yeah, red or blue. Do you, do you leave the simulation? Um, and I would. Um, my inclination is that we, I think we're gonna figure this out in our lifetimes. I do think that um, that we, yeah, I, 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 I don't think, I, I don't know. <laughs> Is that an okay answer? Yeah, 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 always. <laughs> but would you, so would you stay okay. in it? If this were a simulation, would you stay in it or would you leave? If, if, and if the, if, if the uh, so the matrix, would you, would you leave or would you stay? I think you made a really interesting point, which is that we can poke with the scientific probe at the, at the simulation to see right. and understand ourselves in, yeah. potentially in yeah. it. And then, yeah. and then can you leave? How can you leave? Can you make another one? Keep embedding these within each other? All these, yeah, all these questions. Yeah. And that the world is interesting enough where um, we have a couple of myths about the, whatever you say about the world. We have this myth of centralization of command and control. We also have this myth of um, scarcity. Yeah, yeah. And you're starting to see experiments like Burning Man saying, like, you know what? What if, what if you don't make that assumption of uh, of greed? <laughs> and but some of the people here on on Market Street do have real scarcity happening to them still. Right. You know, it's like very strange that we have this Burning Man and like ah yeah, and then we have this like you know Market Street, San Francisco, right, uh, mid market area, right, yeah, and, right, and uh, yeah, you can't tell people living in a concrete housing project to save the planet, right, and. Uh, so yes, we have a lot of social fabric to, to mend yeah. and weave yeah, together first that uplifts people. Because um, it's a roll of the dice if you're born into two parents have no love and compassion addicted to drugs or if you're born to the middle class or higher class wherever around the world. And we're doing an abysmal job at um, the, the divide. Yeah, at, at uplifting yeah. Um, faster, more yeah. effectively, yeah. Last question on our show, Ari. What is the most beautiful thing in the world? True love. Tell us more. Recognizing that we're loved by, by, by so many people around us and that love is just an attracting force and for no necessarily rational reason or but that you can make a sort of contract with someone saying, 
I'm going to put your needs um, on the level of my needs or above my needs. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. if we do a little bit of that, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. the, the level of beauty and the level of compassion that we can have, just, I think can change the world. That's right, yeah, that was so beautifully said. Thank you so much, Ori. Thanks for coming on to our show. Thank, Thank you for you. teaching us about all of your work. Yeah. We're huge fans, and we're excited to continue propagating your memes out into the world. <laughs> yeah, keep co-creating. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We greatly appreciate you. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below. Let us know what you're thinking about this episode, about radical inclusion, about decentralization, about best, these best strategies to get to a state of unity and a state of meaning and purpose for all beings. Check out Ori's links below. Check out his website link below. Check out the Twitter. Check out the LinkedIn. Check out the book. Go and buy the book. Take it of a read. Share it with your communities. Very, very important to do so. Huge shout out to Ron Vogus, our producer and director. Thank you very much. We greatly appreciate you. And support the artists and entrepreneurs that you believe in. Support them. Help them grow. Help them. their memes spread into the world. Help simulation. Our links are below. We need your help in growing as well. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. Huge thank you for tuning in, and we will see you soon. Much love.